Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a fun conversation with David Ferris of Sanford Ferris Golf Course Design. David's been in the game basically his entire life. And for the last 25 years, he's worked with John Sanford. Some good stories about longevity and just a love for a game here. But before we get going with David, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad to have them on board, and we're glad that David was able to take some time to join us. Well, David, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. I've had some fun conversations with you off off air over the last few weeks. And the first thing I want to ask you here on air is you're preparing to work on a course that holds a special place in your life. What makes the Calvary Club outside Syracuse, New York, special in your world? And how excited are you about this upcoming project? Well, guy, thank, thanks for uh, having me. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, the Calvary Club outside of Syracuse is a, a very special place uh, for me. Uh, I grew up just around the corner from the club. I grew up playing in the creek that goes around some of the holes there and in the woods that are adjacent to it. My dad was an assistant pro there in the 1970s. I remember hanging out in the pro shop as a kid. It's the first place I ever played golf. My great uncle was one of the charter members there. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, history there for, for me and my family. Yeah, definitely going to be a fun project for us. First place you ever played golf. Do you remember that round at all? What I remember mm-hmm. is I was maybe four or five. I don't don't remember how old it was, but I remember the first hole and uh, my dad taking me out in the cart and, you know, he played from the tees. And I don't know how I still have this memory, but, uh, you know, I got to put the ball down out in the fairway and try to hit it up. And yeah, first time I played golf. Still remember that first hole. I also rem- have some other memories of, you know, standing on the back porch and uh, waiting for my dad to come in because he was out playing golf and being able to to see him on the eighth hole. And when you go there today, and it's getting better, they're taking out some trees, but every hole has been walled off with trees over the years. So those kind of memories um, I was able to share with the club as we were going through the, the master planning process. Yeah, and the Calvary Club was designed by Dick Wilson, right? So despite being in the middle of Robert Trent Jones' country, there aren't any other Dick Wilson designs in that part of the world. What is unique about Wilson's work and why, why does so much of it still connect with golfers today in various places? Yeah, so you're right. It is. I mean, Robert Trent Jones, um, he went to Cornell, which was, you know, it's an hour, hour and a half south of, of uh, Syracuse, which is about where this course is located. Um, he was also from the Rochester area, if I remember correctly. Um, another thing I remember about Robert Trent Jones in his book that I didn't know before after, you know, Green Lakes, which is a state park golf course, maybe five miles from the Calvary Club, was one of his first projects. And the state didn't really have the money to, to pay it, pay for the course and build it, so they gave Jones a, a 30-year lease on it. So he ran uh, a golf course not far from the Calvary Club for years. But then you, you, you look at the history of those two and such iconic designers. And I, I like to refer I, this article I discovered in Sports Illustrated, if you can find it, is from the early 60s where they did an article on just those two architects. And you can tell there was respect, but also a lot of um, I am better than the other guy 
comment in that article. It's really, really interesting. And the fact that Wilson got this this project right in the middle of, uh, you know, Jones's backyard, so to speak, um, I can only imagine how happy it made Wilson <laughs> back in the day, knowing the, the the rivalry that they had. And uh, you know, as a kid, when I played the course, I I didn't know I didn't know who Wilson was. I didn't know who Lee was, but I did know that this, to me, this was the best golf course in in the Central New York area. This is the one. I enjoyed playing the most when there was an event there. I was always excited to to to, to go there and play in it. And to answer your question about his work, Wilson, from what I know, came out of kind of the the 1920s golden era of design. That was when he got his start. He worked for Flynn and Toomey, and they did a lot of great work, Marion and Shinnecock, and he was he was around for that work. And the Great Depression, he had to take a break because there wasn't a lot of work going on. Um, but that's his influence, and I think you see that in his designs. And I think Wilson was really good at routing a golf course. Um, I think his routings used the land as, as well as anybody. Um, and then his signature strategy, I guess you could call it, is the way he fortified his greens. I mean, there, the, the bunkers around the greens and his bunkering style. You know, over the years they get edged and you lose it. But if you can go find historic images, the amount of character they could get out of a bunker with just two to three feet of vertical change in it is amazing. Um, I just, I just love his bunker style. Are you trying to bring a lot of that back with this project you're doing now? Yes. Yeah, that is the goal. We want to restore these bunkers as much as possible. One thing that I'm noticing is when you go to the 66 photographs, the few that we could find, versus today, the, the greens have come up a foot, foot and a half, um, so there's more vertical change in these bunkers. So we're going to try to make it fit as, as best we can because we're not redoing the greens this summer. What was uh, your dad's reaction when you told him that your firm landed a project at the Calvary Club? I think it was don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad was a PGA or is a PGA professional. He's still still active. He played some PGA tour events. Uh, what were your early days with him, and what did he teach you about the game? And did you and him talk golf architecture at a, when you were young? Yeah. So my dad, yeah, like I said, he was the assistant at Calgary, and by the late seventies, he had uh, you know kind of left and tried to make it on tour. And I got to say, you know, like having your dad as the as a pro, it does inspire you as a kid. You know, it, it does give you this introduction to the game and all of that, which is great. But I, I have to I have to give credit where credit is due when it comes to my um, love of the game, and that goes that goes to my mother and brother and um, some of my friends I grew up with. But my mother um, ended up it was a, she was a single mom. And she'd get done with work. She'd come home, and we wouldn't sit at the dinner table like a lot of families. We, my brother and I, and my mom would throw the clubs in the car, and we'd go play golf. That was that was what we do almost every day. So thank you, mom. <laughs> that, uh, that, that those must be really special memories, and that's awesome to to hear that your mom played like that. And has that helped you throughout the course of your career understand the, the women's game too and some of the design decisions that you have to make for all different types of players, just not the, the really good ones? Uh, yeah, my mom definitely had a different game than <laughs> yeah. me and my brother. Uh, the, the course we grew up playing uh, with my mom, 
we it was um, gosh uh, with with this course I would say function came first. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a great golf course. It wasn't really strategic, but dinner of the course really tried to grow the game back in the day. And he would offer kids memberships for fifty bucks. You could play all the, the whole year, which was amazing for us because um, we. I didn't come from a family with a lot of money, so that that really helped me get on the golf course. Um, and I, I have to thank Doc Matuzak for that, um, who owned a, a, I call it kind of a blue-collar course outside Syracuse called Manoa. And that's where I played a lot of my uh, uh, junior golf. Yeah, what's the golf like in uh, central New York? It's a region that, admittedly, we haven't talked a lot about on the Tartan Talks podcast. How would you describe the the courses that you grew up playing and the land and the, the settings in that part of the country. Well, yeah, I mean, upstate New York has got a, a lot of interesting topography. It actually has some areas that are pretty flat, um, some pretty low lying areas, but um, it is a, it's a beautiful part of the country. And of course I love, love going back there. Um, but there's been a lot of great architects that have worked in that area. Um, besides Wilson and Jones, uh, there's another course in Syracuse uh, that was done by Walter Travis. Um, there's a Donald Ross track there. And then you go outside of Syracuse and kind of still in the central New York area, you know, Rochester is just a couple hours away. And we all know what Rochester, <laughs> Rochester has. So, I mean, upstate New York is a great, great place for golf. Um, but also with that, there's also a lot of um, courses where it's, I, I more utilitarian and just getting people out and, and getting people involved in the game versus high design type courses, I will say. Yeah, and now you're based in South Florida. What what was your introduction to Florida golf, and when did you really start studying the, the courses and the projects down where you do a lot of your work today? A long time ago, my grandparents used to um, winter down here, so we'd come down and visit, and that's probably when I first started playing golf in Florida, which would be early 1980s. But I moved down here in 1996 after um, graduating Cornell and um, doing some work in Boston with Dr. Hertz. And Florida golf is uh, definitely different. The ball doesn't go as, go as far down here. There's, there's a lot of variety down here with the golf courses. There's, and there's a lot more of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned Cornell, uh, a lot of great golf course architects have come from Cornell, and you were there in the 1990s. Explain the events leading up to your life uh, that led to you going to Cornell, and what did you learn during that time when you were in Ithaca? Wow, that's a loaded question. Yeah, we, we got all the time. That's the great thing about a podcast, David. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, you know, like, I, I had no idea I could turn a, a love for golf into a design career like it's turned out to be. I guess you could call it a, a series of happy accidents or something from a higher power. I don't know. I always loved sketching golf holes. And my friends and I, when we were growing up, we did this little wiffle ball course in the, in the yard. Thank, sorry, mom, you know, that we wrecked your yard <laughs> building this. Um, but, you know, it was just a, a hobby, um, a love. And I was accepted into a, an architecture program at the University of Buffalo, and that's where I was set to go when my uncle said, have you ever heard of landscape architecture? And I hadn't, so I went over to Syracuse University and learned a little more about landscape architecture in the program, and I, it's 
funny. Like you look back, my adolescent self was just sitting there thinking, and I don't know why it goes to this, but this, this is what led me on the path was, Hey, if I build a building and it falls down, I'm in trouble. But if I put a tree in the wrong place, nobody's going to really know. So (laughs) that, that kind of led me to landscape architecture. And when I got on that track, I went to a small um, ag and tech school outside of Syracuse called SUNY Morrisville, which had a um, landscape design program. And once I was in that, they said, hey, you know, you can go to Cornell from here, which was like, oh, great. I'd love to go to Cornell. So I got into the turf grass program at Cornell out of Morrisville. And it's still, even once I accepted to Cornell, I still didn't know that this was a profession. I didn't know that the history of the architects that had gone through Cornell. But once I got there, within two weeks, um, my advisor started telling me about the possibilities, and he took me to the event where they renamed the school golf course after Robert Trent Jones. I met Robert. I met his two kids, um, and it was quite the uh, indoctrination once I got there. And shortly after that, you know, I meet other kids that are, are there for the same thing, and I got to think, like, Tom Tom Doak's book that he did in the early 90s, The Anatomy of a Golf Course, where he talked about his time at Cornell, led a lot of kids that were looking to get into the profession to Cornell. So uh, Jason Straco was there, and uh, I worked a summer with him at the Turfgrass Research Facilities at Cornell, and then I met uh, Joel Wyman, Dave Zinkan, um, Chris Monty, we were all there at the same time. And because we had, there were so many of us interested in this profession and they didn't really have a course dedicated to golf course design, Tom Doak actually came to Cornell one semester and taught golf course design for us. Um, so Cornell was a wonderful, positive experience for sure. How is it when you see some of those cl- former classmates of yours today are are you competitive with each other is it congenial because i mean some of the names you mentioned i'm sure you've gone up against for projects over the years well it's it's always fun um you know we're friends so it it goes back along when we had the asgca meeting last fall in cleveland uh saw joel i saw jason um and actually gil was there gil's a cornell grad it was almost like a cornell reunion uh, you know, come together, get your picture, have a beer, you know, <laughs> it was, it was great. No, we, we, we have a good time when we get together. So you mentioned you also have a landscape architecture background. I've never asked this question on the Tartan Talks podcast, David, but how are landscape architecture and golf course architecture the same? And how are those two disciplines different from each other? Oh, they, they're very closely related. Um, especially when you get into the, the, the courses I liked the most at Cornell probably were uh, site engineering and site construction. And everything I learned in those classes I can use in this profession. Garden design, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. It helps with the uh, backyard. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, they're, they're very closely related. What's great is landscape architecture for me for a while, I, I couldn't, get a job out of college in the golf course profession. I still keep my stack of rejection letters from the mid nineties when I was looking for work, but because I had the landscape architecture background, I went to work for a a landscape architecture firm here in West Palm beach, um, which was 
great because it led to uh, working with John Sanford. Yeah, John Sanford is a past Tartan Talks guest. More importantly, he's a past ASGCA president. Tell our listeners the story of how you and John met. So uh, I, the firm I was working for, the Lansing Architecture Firm, there's a, a gentleman in the office that made me aware of uh, the job opening with John. And I applied and went up. I interviewed with John. Um, I remember sitting sitting at the office, interviewing with him, and then also having to do, at the time, I had to do a, a, a CAD test because back in the day we had these big, big digitizing boards and you wanted to make sure the person you were hiring could, could operate the, the equipment. Uh, and also what was kind of nice is that the gentleman that I referred to that told me about job opening, I found out years later when I was looking through my, my little profile there at the office, he had actually sent a letter of recommendation saying how how great it was to work with me. So I have to thank thank Jeff for that. <laughs> and you and John now have been working together for 25 years. I mean, not a lot of people stay at a job for 25 years, not a lot of professional relationships. Last 25 years, what has been the key to making it work and how fun has this ride been with him? Yeah, so, you know, it's not when you get into this profession, it, you, you, you realize how hard it is to, to get your foot in the door. And once you got your foot in the door, you really don't want to leave. So it's not like the grass is greener on the other side. There really is no grass <laughs> on the other side. And it was very fortunate to to um, go to work for John. Um, the projects are amazing, um, fun to work with. Um, the job has been rewarding for sure over the years. Um, I couldn't couldn't imagine it any other way. So. And how do you handle and delegate the work? I mean, how often do you two communicate? What's the relationship like with somebody that you worked with for 25 years? I wouldn't say like it's, oh, here's here's a project for you. Here's a project for me. Um, we do everything together. Uh, it's always, always been that way. Um, and just whatever needs to get done, I, I do it. And then he does what, you know, whatever he needs to be done on his end. And if one of us, um, you know, is overwhelmed with something, the other one helps out the other person. I, it's just, we're a team. Uh, and we've been a team for 25 years. What's the uh, current state of your business? Things are really hopping in South Florida. What's, what's the scene like down where you, you live and based out of? And how exciting is it that get some of the opportunities you've gotten here in the last few years. Yeah. I mean, with COVID and the, the uptick and the, the, the play, um, a lot of courses are uh, busy. I know the public golf courses around me, if it's in season, it's hard to get a tee time. And then the private clubs, they're, they're, they're pretty much full. Uh, some of them have waiting lists. So mm-hmm. the golf market is strong. And when, <laughs> when the neighbors are, you know, redoing their course, all of a sudden you want to keep up with the Joneses, as they say. So mm-hmm. it's been a really good market down here in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we have projects not just in South Florida. we got some in Central Florida and uh, also some in, uh, up in New York. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's been, been good in a lot of places. You're getting ready to become a published author. How does writing and designing a book compare to designing a golf course they're both more difficult than you think <laughs> <laughs> i've always wanted to do a book that's i haven't gotten to that yet for that reason 
Yeah, and and you know the book, like like anything in design, just evolved over time. It started out as like a little picture book, and it just kept growing and growing. It's now um, a book about the work. Most of the work in there is the stuff that John and I have done. There's work in there too from before I worked for John, um, and then I also touched on um, some of our design philosophies and you know John's history and background in the book. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, yeah, they're both both more difficult than you think. You know, started that book right before COVID started. You know, we're still tweaking it and and finding ways to get it published. What type of memories does it bring back when you start writing about some of the projects you've done over the years? And what are some of the uh, unique sites and places you two have worked? 98% positive. There, you know, some projects go a little sideways at times. But um, I, the most unique projects and, and the one that really drew me in with, with John that made me want to work with him the most um, was Granite Links up in Boston, which was taking all the, the fill from the big dig and putting it on two landfills south of the city and building 27 holes. I just thought that reclamation project was so interesting and unique and really wanted to be a part of it. Um, it was also not far away from uh, the Widow's Walk project that I did with Dr. Hertzen. And then the other uh, really neat reclamation project we did was uh, it's now called Trump Golf Link Ferry Point in the Bronx. Um, those two projects stand out to me as the the, the most interesting um, things that we've done. I would say, see, Granite Links, we were working on that when I started and it might have finished in 04, 05. So, you know, that that was a good six, seven-year project. And then same with Trump Golf Links. You know, normally a golf project, especially down here in South Florida in a renovation, you know, construction will start in april and you're opening it back up the next fall but those projects because of the engineering and logistics they took years to build now to some of your recent work and one of those projects includes sailfish sands a nine-hole reversible course in south florida how unique of a project and opportunity was it to build a nine-hole reversible course where did the concept come from and what did it take to to execute that that concept into reality yeah, so uh, the reversible uh, course, I, I'm pretty sure it's the only one in Florida, um, and that that concept came out of more the the um, RFP process. The, the county had kind of planted that seed, and and John, I, I will give you know, John took that and ran with it. it a lot of it was his ideas on, on the reversible course. The other really cool thing with Sailfish Sands was. The practice facilities and to give credit to the county looking forward and trying to be different the practice facilities has one of those you know technology driven ranges that's got a, a structure on the t that's you know two stories with hitting bays and the, you know the restaurant and bar where you can you know service the people hitting out of the bays with food and drinks um, so it's a really really neat project um, and to think it's a municipal course it's it, you know it's, it's great that a municipality uh, did something like that. How do you make the reversible concept work? Does one way play more interesting than the other way is one way more popular or do you try to balance them out and make them both as equally awesome as you can? So it's kind of like asking me if um, 
I, I, I like my son more than my daughter. So um. we'll take that one off air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, it, you try to get them to play the, the same um, both ways. Uh, you try to keep the interest interest there going both ways. Um, and, and with that, you know, it's not, didn't work out to where we had nine greens that played both ways. Uh, I think we ended up with 11 greens, 12. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head how many greens. We, we It's more than nine greens out there to make the reversible course work. Um, so that in and of itself is kind of unique. You've done some great practice facilities, you and John. How much work is there right now to be had for improving practice facilities? What are the benefits of improving practice facilities? And when you get commissioned to do one, where, where does that process start yeah i think practice facilities just keep becoming more and more important uh i you know a lot of people don't have the the time to go spend four or five hours playing golf but they can go spend a half hour hitting range balls or or working on their short game so the, the process starts i guess you could say with with the the, uh, the demand and, and trying to fulfill the demand and uh, i can talk about you know project that I did recently uh, up in Wilmington, Delaware with DuPont Country Club. And they had a practice facility that just didn't work. It was, you had to get in your car to drive to it. And they had a golf course that was underutilized. So they took, we ended up taking 23 acres from that underutilized golf course and putting a driving range, which was, I, I loved the fact that we could put this driving range on the old golf course and then use the old full corridors uh, in the driving range. So you're hitting, I, I love the ability to hit a drive and actually feel and see a shot that it would be like on a golf course where a typical driving range is, you know, 300, 400 feet wide and there's nothing, no trees, no, no definition. It was great to be able to hit in those old full corridors. And we also did a little four or five hole pitching course that was also the short game area. There's a putting course, there's um, a building with hitting bays and, the, you know, the restaurant bar. Um, so it, it's become very popular. And during COVID, uh, my understanding is that that facility was used a lot. Uh, people would go out and, and practice all the time. So, yeah, practice facilities. If, if you have the space, practice facilities are very important these days. David, when you complete a project and get a chance to go back, what, what are you looking for? What's the follow-up like after you complete a project? It depends. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> been back to courses um, that haven't been maintained very well, and it's um, mm-hmm. kind of sad. And then there's other ones you go back to, and it's just, a, I don't know, it's almost like a sense of pride uh, mm-hmm. to see what you've designed. You know, I I can think back to the, the reason why I got, got into this profession was a bunch of happy accidents, but what really made me want to do it was, like I said, my upbringing and how golf brought my family together. And I, and I love the idea of creating things um, that will bring other families together. I, I, that, that's what really drives me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to kind of rotate this conversation back to the beginning, speaking of bringing families together, do you, do you still ski? Um, no, not since I moved to Florida, um, but it was, it was, um, it's an interesting thing in Syracuse in the winters, golf courses became a, um, winter 
recreation place, and some of them would have skiing. Um, and when I went to SUNY Morrisville, they didn't have a golf team. Um, they had a ski team. So my mom always said, if it's out there, try it. And my whole life, it's, you know, I've always tried to do things, um, always tried to do new things. Shoot, I never thought I would have uh, done a theater production, but I've done those. Um, so when I went to Morrisville, I tried out for the ski team. I made it. It was an amazing experience. You know, the, you, you're going to Lake Placid. You're skiing on all these great hills. And surprisingly enough, um, my first year, if you look it up, 1990 uh, NJCAA National Champs. Uh, that was us. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of funny that the guy, the guy with the golf background, ends up being on a national championship ski team. <laughs> I, I love the mantra about trying new things. So that leads to the logical follow-up qu- question: Here is what's something uh, on the course that you haven't had a chance to try that you'd like to try, and what's something off the course uh, that you haven't tried that you'd eventually like to try? Oh wow. On the course, you know what? Um, I have yet to go to Scotland and Ireland. Um, that, as far as on the golf course, those are things I want to do. Um, outside the golf course, I don't know. I, I, I think somebody needs to, to come forward with something I haven't done, and I'll do it. <laughs> do your acting skills ever help on, <laughs> in your line of work, having those, those abilities? Well, I I got a I, before I did it, I had a lot of stage fright. I uh-huh. I was a very shy kid. Uh, I hated even talking on the phone. So for me to go out on stage was nerve wracking. But it, it did kind of break the ice. So in that aspect, I'd say yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, believe it or not, I had podcast fright one day, David. <laughs> <laughs> What happened there? <laughs> I was just forced to do it for this job, and now, now looking at us, on, on a serious note, I mean, as a kid that grew up around the game and, and has been involved in the game for so long, I mean, how cool has it been to give back to golf, to, to make golf your career? How rewarding has this journey been for you? Uh, incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't imagine a, a more rewarding profession at this point because mm-hmm. um, uh, it combines, you know, what I love and and the ability to give back at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a lot of a lot of fun. I didn't think we would talk about acting on a Tartan Talks podcast, so I'm glad that uh, we entered that realm. And uh, you know, thanks for taking the time to to join us. And hopefully, we get a chance to see you soon at the Calvary Club or maybe somewhere else down the road. Yeah, definitely. If you're ever up there, let me know. <laughs>